I'm Sarah Vieira, and this is the Code Sandbox Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about learning. As new web technologies emerge and evolve, sometimes the best way to learn is to take a hands-on approach. No one knows this better than our guest for this episode, Kent E. Dodds. Kent is a JavaScript software engineer and a full-time web development educator who has taught hundreds of thousands of people on how to make the world a better place with quality software. We talked about his transition into working for himself, his philosophies behind teaching and learning, and how he balances and maintains all the educational content he creates. Hello, Kent. It's really nice to see you. It's good to be seen. It's good to see you too. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Any hobbies or like what makes Kent Kent? Yeah. So I am a husband and father. I have four kids and a dog and we live in Utah in the United States and I am a full-time educator. So I worked at a couple of companies. PayPal was my last uh, company. And then a just over two years ago, I decided I wanted to do the thing that I was doing on the side full-time. And so I went full-time educator and I've been doing that for a while and it's been awesome. I teach a lot about testing and React, a lot of JavaScript stuff. So I have testingjavascript.com and epicreact.dev. I also teach on egghead.io and front-end masters and some stuff on there too. What was the transition like when you changed from being a full-time dev? Like the muggles, us, to like a full-time educator. I'm a pretty fiscally conservative person. I don't like to take big risks, especially as the father of four kids. And my wife is a full-time mom. So I'm the only source of income for our family. And so I wanted to make sure that it was going to be a solid transition. We weren't going to be taking a big risk or anything. And so I probably could have gone off on my own as a full-time educator much earlier. But yeah, by the time I went full-time educator, it was just an obvious decision. The transition wasn't a huge thing. My, my biggest fear was that I would end up being like my college professors who clearly hadn't been in industry in a, um, quite some time. And so what I learned from them and then what I experienced in the real world were several years uh, different. <laughs> uh, and so I, that was my biggest fear. And I've been able to keep up with what is going on in the development world just because of the way that I am. And so that hasn't really been a, a problem for me. So the transition, it just meant that I got to spend more time with my family rather than doing all of my side stuff in the evenings. Um, I was able to just move side stuff to the daytime and then my evenings were free. It was nice. What kind of work were you doing before? Like not just PayPal, but in, in general, like how did you start in tech? I got started in tech when I joined onto this uh, company and they wanted me to take DVDs and videos from another internet site, which we had permission to download and uh, put them up on various YouTube channels. This was a manual process. They did not hire me to be a programmer or anything. But at the same time, I was taking a programming class for, in Java and I realized like how ridiculously boring it is to drag and drop or select files to upload to YouTube. I decided, I, I think I can automate some of this. And so I I built a program, it would automatically uh, rip the DVD. So all I had to do is stick a DVD in. And when my program was done, that video was up on YouTube. And then for the videos we would download, I just pointed it to the site and it would go scrape the site for all the links that we needed to download. And it would even use like meta tags and, and all of that. So I didn't have to come up with the description or title of the video. 
you know, to upload it all. So I probably spent just about almost as much time coding it as I would have if I'd just done it manually. That was the first time that I wrote a program that I thought was like, oh, programming isn't just about like writing your own compiler for the fun of it or implementing a linked list or some data structure or whatever. That There's like practical things that I can do to write software. That's kind of where I got my start. I was still in school at the time. It was an internship, but that's really where I got my start into programming. So your first interaction with programming was at school. I'm just going to be very honest right now. Like mine was like MySpace. So yeah, like... yeah. Well, I, I toyed around with HTML and, and stuff and, and yeah. CSS like as a teenager. Nothing really substantial. I maybe spent like three hours on it in my entire teenage years. Um, I, actually, the most programming that I did as a teenager is, if you can count this, is Age of Empires or StarCraft or WarCraft campaigns, like custom campaigns where you can say like, when this character gets into this space, then do this thing. And um, that actually was super fun. I, I remember like I would recreate books, like storylines from books in the game. I mean, I had a lot of fun doing that as a teenager. I think a big part of why you became like, so let's call it known in the React and JavaScript community was open source. When did you start getting into open source? I remember when I when I was building that little program for work uh, with the DVDs and stuff, I stored everything in Dropbox and we didn't have known modules or anything back then. So it wasn't like a huge deal. But I did remember like I would edit over here and then I would try to use a different computer and I would have like those conflict files that you had to fix. And like, there's got to be a better way. And it turns out there was, it was Git. And so I, I started using Git. But when you start using Git, you need to have a place to put things. I started using Bitbucket and then uh, found GitHub. And I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And, and I just naturally made everything open source. And I decided to make it my first open source library. Uh, this was GenieGS, kind of like Alfred for the web or like a Spotlight for the web sort of thing. I used it in a hack night and I ended up getting uh, my, my first full-time job that night. Uh, it was awesome. I, I made this open source thing and added it to our work project and now I have a job. Do you still do open source right now? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very involved in open source. I created a testing library. A lot of folks have probably heard of that. It is uh, very widely used. And so, yeah, there are implementations for any framework, any place you'll find a DOM, you can find a testing library for that tool. There are an army of maintainers who maintain the various packages of testing library and they are doing a marvelous job. Like I've got over a hundred packages on NPM. So I have plenty of open source stuff uh, that I'm still working on and, and enjoy maintaining. I'm typically the person who's like, let me solve this for my problem and make it generally useful for most people. And then I pretty much stop working on it until I run into a problem with it. And so if other people have issues with it, then they can make pull requests and whatever. And, and I'm willing to, to manage that. But at some point, like with testing library, most of the issues and things that came in were uh, something about the docs need to be improved or people just misunderstood. They're just asking a question. Like there's nothing fundamental about the library anymore. And, and that's where I, I like to, to do my work. I like to lay the foundation, get things going in the right direction. Once it's in the right direction, I'm fine handing it off and, and moving on to my next thing. You need to say your boundaries like that. Otherwise, you're just going to work yourself to burnout. For the most part, I've been able to avoid burnout pretty well. And my, my strategy is if it's not my problem or I don't just want to work on it for the fun of it, then I won't work on it. And I'll just ignore it for the most part. And that seems heartless, but when you have 
hundreds of people asking for your time. It's the only way to be sustainable. What would be really heartless is to burn myself out and then I can't be available for anyone. Uh, and so I'd rather seem a little bit heartless when I ignore people than actually be heartless by burning myself out and impacting my relationships with my family and then not being of use to anybody anyway. Yeah. And I think that's completely valid. I think that's how a lot of us have to start doing things. I think a lot of the problems that come with this are that we are unable to say no to things. What were the biggest difficulties that you have in what you do now? Mm. And how do you overcome these difficulties? My ultimate goal, like the, the number one thing for everything that I create is how do I make sure that people remember this after we're done? Mm -hmm. Because if they can't remember, then the entire experience was worthless. And so I spend a lot of time thinking about how do I make sure that retention is high for what I'm teaching. And so that involves a lot of a lot of thoughtfulness around the exercises and, and the way I, I deliver the material. That's a pretty significant challenge. Another like kind of emotional challenge is the frustration that I have in myself with my pace. I, I feel like I, I have so many ideas and uh, so many things that I want to accomplish, but I don't have the time to get it done, especially with COVID. When it comes to your work, what are some of the courses or like offerings, whatever you want to call it, that you have out there right now? I put everything on my uh, courses page on my website. So you can go to kentcdons.com slash courses. And uh, the two biggest ones for me, this is both where I get most of my income as well as where most of the value that I provide to people is on epicreact.dev and then testingjavascript.com. There's a little bit from Egghead and, and Frontend Masters and, and stuff, but yeah, it's mostly Epic React and testing JavaScript. The company mission for Kent CDOT's Tech LLC is to make the world a better place through quality software by teaching quality software. So both of these are my efforts to do that sustainably. So that's why I charge for that. I, I have tons of stuff that's free uh, that pushes the mission forward. And that stuff is supported by these. And to give an idea of scope, like some people will look at this and be like, okay, so it's a Udemy course on React or something. It couldn't be further away from what a Udemy course is. Epic React in particular is best compared to a university semester long course, like three credit classes. That's how much time you should put into it. So that's like three hours a week for something like 14 weeks or something. It's enormous it, uh, is what it amounts to. I, I don't know of any other thing like this of this scope and size by a single instructor anywhere. And it's all cohesive from beginning to end. That's amazing. I think most people who learn the most valuable stuff from me are learning from Epic React and testing JavaScript. And so the workshops are, are where people are learning the most. But I get so many readers on my blog. Hundreds of thousands of people hit my blog every week or month or something. That's amazing. It's very popular. For a lot of common React questions, my blog is the first result on Google or DuckDuckGo, if you will. The blog is probably where I reach the most people. I have a three-minute podcast. It's called Three Minutes with Kent that I publish pretty much every day. And I've got maybe about a thousand people who listen to each one of those. And then I have the Chats with Kent podcast, which you've been on and it's been great. Yes, this is super fun. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I actually have a podcast on Epic React and conversations with people on there too. I like that format. 
I think that's a shift that's about to happen where people will need to start realizing that the free stuff is paid by the paid stuff. Unlike what people think, which is like, oh, you make a bunch of free stuff and now you're trying to charge us. The paid stuff sponsors the free stuff. And that's actually why all of my material, period, is open source. Everything that I have taught people, all of the source material for that is, is on GitHub and totally open source. I don't think I have anything that's private. You create all this content. And my question is, how do you maintain consistency? I actually use uh, my name in everything that I produce intentionally. So it's mm -hmm. uh, three minutes with Kent, it's chats with Kent, it's uh, live with Kent, office hours with Kent, like the KCD Discord. Epic React doesn't have my name in it, but like it's very clear that it's mine. As far as like making the content itself consistent with itself, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm not just throwing something together every month or every week. I make sure that I know this stuff. What are your keys for creating an optimal user learning experience to make sure that people are actually retaining what you're saying? My teaching is greatly influenced by a book called Make It Stick. It talks a lot about retention. And there are a couple of key things that I do in my workshops uh, based on what I learned in that book. Now, that book is actually written to learners. And like, here, you're going to take a semester class at a university. Here's how you make what you're learning stick. And so there are a lot of exercises and things that you can do over the course of multiple weeks. But I found ways to apply those same principles in like a four-hour workshop. In my live workshops, I put you in breakout rooms. So you're grouped with a group of people that you can work through this together. And I have like icebreaker questions and stuff to get people talking. Then like if you're doing this as like on your own with the recorded stuff, then I uh, supplement that with KCD learning clubs. So you can get a group of people to, to go through it all together. And then I have my office hours that I do every week to just answer any questions that people have uh, about the material. So that way, this is what I love about Epic React is that it is all of the good things about a live workshop without any of the bad things about a live workshop. You take it at your own pace. And because I have taught this material to thousands of developers, I know the questions that people are going to ask. It's really good stuff. And this is why I can give a 30-day free money-back guarantee and not worry because yeah. uh, it's, people love it. That was very transparent, which is something that I also want to mention is that you have a transparency page on your website. Is that kind of part of your philosophy so that people kind of understand that in these things, you are an open book and people should know how they can support you best and how you make your money. Yeah. So you can find it at kenciedodds.com slash transparency. And I actually decided to create this page after Clubhouse became a big thing because I've been thinking about this for a long time time. And it always makes me uncomfortable not knowing what the, the plan for money is or where the money comes from. Money for a company, that's where incentives come from. So like Twitter and Facebook and Google, they all have some weird incentives that cause those services to be not in our best interests. And so I was thinking about Clubhouse, like, I mean, I might be excited about it, but I don't know where its money is going to come from in the long term. What is it going to do with our data? I remember tweeting, like, every company should have a page that says where they get their money from. And when I tweeted that, I realized, wait a second, I've got a company. <laughs> so, so I made my transparency page and, and I, I just list the sources of income that I have. And it actually is kind of useful too, because people will say, hey, thanks for all the free stuff that you do. How can I support you? And I just say, 
Well, go to my transparency page and you see where my money comes from. Pay for one of those things. If you could give one tip to someone who wants to become an educator in the tech space, what would that tip be? A mistake that I see a lot of times is people will skip the audience building part or the audience trust part and just go straight to give me $10, please, or whatever. So I spent years producing lots of free content to earn the trust. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't do both at the same time. I created an egghead course pretty early on, but while I was doing all of that stuff, I was also doing a lot of audience trust building stuff where uh, you need to convince them that you know what you're talking about uh, so that they are willing to spend money. Even if you offer a 30 day money back guarantee, it's not, you don't get your time back with that. And so you need to convince them that it's going to be worth their time. I would suggest putting in a lot of time to show the audience that you want to have that you really know what you're talking about and that your content is quality. I just want to ask as a final question, where can our listeners find you online? Where are you most responsive? You can find my Discord and and links to my Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter, all on my website, kentcdots.com. Thank you so much for coming, Kent. It was really nice to talk to you. And I got a lot of very useful insights about the world of teaching. And I'm sure our listeners have gotten some really useful insights too. Thank you too, Sarah. Also, just a last plug, Code Sandbox is awesome. I love Code Sandbox. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. If you want to find out more information, visit us at codesandbox.io slash CSV podcast. And if you like this episode, please share it on social media as well. Use the hashtag CSV podcast, or you can send us a tweet at at codesandbox. Our executive producer is Maurice Cherry, with additional production help from Sierra Ford. Engineering and editing are the courtesy of Resonate Recordings. And of course, a special thanks to Kenzie Dodds and the entire team at Code Sandbox. 